We're in 1 Thessalonians tonight, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, we're going through the Bible, Genesis, to Revelation on Wednesday night, and we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this evening. If you're struggling to find 1 Thessalonians, you might want to go to Revelation and start working to the left, and hopefully you hit 1 Thessalonians. If you come to First and Second Timothy, you're close. If you can't find it and your neighbor has, then take their Bible, give them yours. So, Bible apps are a great thing as well. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's read together from verse 1 down to verse 13. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you beforehand, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulations, just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So let's pray together. Jesus, we pray tonight that our hearts would be established through your work in our lives that whatever affliction and difficulty that we face or will face, that we would be unshaken. We know that that's a work and move of you in our lives. I pray for those that are going through a season of difficulty, a season of challenge, that you would meet with them and they would meet with you. So we invite you into this study. We pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most inspiring sights is a bald eagle, isn't it? If you're fortunate enough to, to see a bald eagle, they're, they're majestic, all eagles in general. They've captured our imagination to where it's become a national figure of our freedom. But how do these birds learn to fly? Well, first, when they're, they're born, they're not the most attractive animals, are they? They don't have the majesty that we come to appreciate in an eagle. From what I know and understand of these baby chicks, they get to a point of maturity, and mom says, that's enough, 
and kicks them out of the nest, forces affliction on them, if you would, and they're falling from this nest. And all of a sudden, they realize what they are, and they start to begin to fly. They begin to soar. And God, the ultimate Father, I think, knows that in order for us to fly, in order for us to grow, in order for us to mature, that it involves affliction. This new church, the church in Thessalonica, modern-day Greece, they're young in the Lord, and they're experiencing a tremendous amount of affliction. And Paul is concerned that they're going to stumble in the midst of their affliction, that their affliction is actually going to hinder their faith. That's why he's writing to them. That's why he's sending Timothy to them. And he's encouraging them, don't lose heart in the midst of affliction. Allow your heart to be established. And that's God's challenge for us as well, that we would have an established heart in the midst of affliction. Verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. What Paul is saying is we thought it good to send Timothy to you, and we would remain alone in Athens. Paul went from Thessalonica to Berea to Athens. And so now he's, he's in Athens and he's saying, we're so concerned about your state, we're willing to be alone and send Timothy to you as our messenger. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So Timothy, as we're well familiar, is this young man traveling, doing ministry with the apostle Paul, His character is described that he's a brother. He's loyal, he's faithful, that he's a minister, that he's a servant, he's willing to serve, and that he's a fellow laborer in the gospel. He's willing to work hard and persevere in the midst of this. And he's sent for the specific purpose in verse 2 to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, when you're going through difficulty, when I'm going through difficulty, It is a breath of fresh air when God sends a Timothy to us. We know that God is with us, but when he sends an encourager, sends someone to establish us, it may be via a text and you go, oh, that was the perfect time to receive a text. It's so wonderful to know that someone's praying for me. That was the perfect Bible verse that you sent to me. I I needed to, to hear that. And so the Lord will oftentimes encourage and comfort through his people. Paul knows this, and he sends a Timothy. And sometimes we'll be on the receiving end of it. We'll be in the shoes of the church of Thessalonica. Someone will be sent by God to encourage us. Oh, man, you are a godsend. I'm so thankful that you took the time to to care for me in in this place. And sometimes God will send us to somebody who is in affliction. If you've got someone on your heart and your mind, reach out to them. Give them a call. Pray for them. Stop by. Text them. You know that they're hurting. Be willing to be that Timothy because it provides encouragement. It provides establishment. It's exactly what they needed in that moment. Verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. So if you're taking notes tonight, what causes our hearts to be established Number one is unshaken. We're unshaken by affliction. This is easier said than done, isn't it? Because affliction has a way of shaking us. Has a way of allowing fear and worry to set into our hearts and minds. We get so fixed upon the problem and upon the difficulty that it's hard to see the character of God 
in the midst of, of that challenge. So these new believers, Paul's praying for them. He's saying, I don't want you to be shaken. I don't want you to stumble. Even if you've walked with the Lord and we've matured in the Lord, a trial definitely has that tendency to cause me to shake. Tendency to cause me, me to worry. We find John the Baptist there, don't we? Walked with the Lord. Trusted the Lord. The forerunner to Jesus Christ. Pointing out that Christ is the Messiah at baptism. Hearing the words of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Finds himself in prison and he's wondering if Christ is really the one. Talk about being shaken. Did I point to the wrong one? So he sends a message to Christ and saying, if you're it, please let me know. If not, I'd like to know that as well. So I can get this this thing corrected. Jesus had some insightful words to John the Baptist. He says, blessed are those who do not stumble because of me. That are willing to accept my ways in their life. I believe John the Baptist heard that and received that. Embraced it through faith and ultimately he was martyred. He was killed for making a righteous stance before the Lord. So as we think about God's character, and we think about not being shaken by trial, it's very important, and it becomes something that we do by spiritual discipline, not necessarily by feeling, this is who I know God to be. This is who God declares himself to be in his word, that he's my father, that he's faithful, that he's proven his love to me by giving his son, that he'll withhold no good thing from me. And we find this in the Psalms, Psalms 90. Verse 1 and 2, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That's powerful to think about. God has been a worthy dwelling place for all generations. Think about all the trials of generations past. God has been a faithful dwelling place. He will continue to be a faithful dwelling place no matter who is the president in a few short Yeah. <laughs> a few short weeks. Coming quickly. Goes on in verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I like Psalms 91, verse 2. It says, I say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. It's one thing to know who God is. And it's another thing to come to him, to experience him as your refuge, as your fortress. Amen? I'm sure there's some of you tonight that are going through affliction. You're going through difficulty. And if you're honest, you're saying it's shaking me a little bit. Or it's shaking me a lot. And the Holy Spirit would be speaking to us through what's written in his word saying, I don't want you to be shaken by this trial. I want you to remember who God is and take refuge in his presence. The place in which we take refuge is found in trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him. Trust. And as we trust the Lord, we're entering him to be the refuge. What's the enemy of God being our refuge? It's double-minded. 
So we're in this trial, we're in this difficulty. It begins to shake us. We go to God, we ask for wisdom. God gives us that wisdom, shows us afresh who he is, but then we begin to doubt it. And that doubt enters in and causes us to be tossed to and fro. Got some fresh challenges, some fresh difficulties in my own life that are really current just over the last few days. I I found myself going to bed last night fighting that place of worry and fear and going, I've got to think about who God is. I've got to think about who, who the Lord is. And feeling the stirring of the Holy Spirit saying, trust me. Trust this difficult to me. Surrender this difficulty to me. I don't know what the outcome is. Man, and isn't God faithful, you know, to say, Eric, you're going to teach on trials Wednesday night, so I'm going to give you a fresh trial in your, in your own life, right? And when you're really in the midst of a, a difficulty or an, an affliction, I really think that this is where the wrestling lies. This is where the relationship with the Lord lies. This is where the trust comes in. And we say, okay, Lord, I don't know. I, I can't see. I don't, don't know how this is going to work out. So I'm going to not lean on my own understandings. I acknowledge this to you, and I'm choosing to trust in you, and then in you I am not shaken. But there is the possibility from Scripture to not be shaken as we go through affliction. Continuing, it says, For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Meditate upon this for just a moment. So to have an established heart is to be unshaken, But then to also have an established heart is to be appointed. That we are appointed for affliction. That God in his love for us says, it is my will that you would go through this trial. It's my will that you would go through this difficulty in your life. With Job and the challenges that he went through, all of his trials passed through the hand of God. We understand something very deep about trials and difficulties and affliction is that it's not just random or outside of God's control, but he is the one who allows it. He's the one who says yes to it. So then we begin to examine a deeper question of why would God appoint us for affliction? If he loves me, then why would he appoint me for suffering? Because in our mind, suffering and love don't go together. That's what we've concluded about love. But remember that eagle, the mama eagle with her baby chicks saying, you're going to fly. How are you going to fly? You're going to fly through affliction. You're going to fly by getting out of the nest. So I want to go through a few things from scripture. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder for myself. I hope it is for you as well. Affliction reveals Christ to us. Maybe write down these verses as I share them with you, affliction reveals Christ to us. This is Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the, to the resurrection from the dead. He says that I may know him. So this prayer to know Christ and to fellowship in the, his sufferings, how does that take place? How do we fellowship in the sufferings of Christ? Through suffering. So every affliction gives us the opportunity to fellowship with Christ in a greater way. Oh, Christ, you've gone through this. You understand this. And Paul counted the fellowship with Christ worthy of going through the suffering. 
He says, the suffering's worth it because I'm going to have a deeper fellowship with Christ. So, affliction reveals Christ to us. Affliction refines our faith. How, how does our faith become stronger? How do we trust the Lord more and more? First Peter 6 says, in verse 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Don't you love the way the Bible puts that? It's pretty all-inclusive. Various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we know if we trust God? A trial reveals it. A trial shows us. Yeah, I do trust God. I believe that God's got this. Or, you know, I'm struggling a little bit in my faith. This one is testing me in this ability to be able to trust the Lord. So affliction will refine our faith. Reflection will cause us to grow in faith, to go from faith to greater faith. Affliction grows our character. Romans 5 Verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 5. And not only that, but we glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So this is why God would appoint us to, to suffering. This is why he would appoint us to affliction. It's because tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. From God's perspective, it's worth it. I'd hope in these few moments that you would come to understand that I would come to understand suffering in a different light. That I would come to understand affliction in a different light and see that God is growing my character. How about affliction expands our impact? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the, with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as you go through pain, as you go through affliction, as you go through suffering, then you begin to find yourself having more compassion upon people who are going through any kind of suffering, and you begin to pray for them. When you read the news, and you think of the hurricane that's coming into Florida and South Carolina, your heart breaks for them because you understand those are people that are fleeing their homes that may come back to a home that's completely devastated. You think of those in New Orleans that had, in Louisiana, here recently with the flooding this summer, and and you begin to have compassion. You view that coworker a little bit differently. I have noticed this in my life. That go back in my life 10 or 15 years ago, and there was, to a large degree, a lack of compassion. Because I hadn't suffered enough. And the more suffering that I go through in my life, the more compassion that I have for people, and the less things that I have figured out. Isn't that true? Understand that God is faithful, rely upon the, the faithfulness of God. But this is the way that God gives us the ability to carry his comfort to others because we've experienced pain. We're comforted by the Lord and then we become a container of his comfort to others. We're willing to listen. We're willing to share. We're willing to pray. So 
these are just a few things that I've mentioned in a few sections of Scripture, but it's for us to lay hold of, not just verses to know, but to lay hold of by faith and say, okay, God, you've appointed me for affliction. This is exactly where you'd want me to be. In verse 4, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation just as it's happened, and you know it. Paul says, I warned you guys. I prepared you for tribulation. That's the third thing to take note of. For an established heart is first unshaken by taking refuge in the character of God. And then appointed. Okay, Lord, I understand sometimes in my life I've got some appointments with suffering. And then embrace it through faith. And then prepared. Prepared. What's our expectation on life? Is our expectation on life one where smooth sailing and there's going to be no difficulties? If that's the case, we're always going to be living in perpetual disappointment, isn't it? Paul here, knowing and growing this group of young believers, says, guys, I want you to know there's going to be times where it's tough. I want you to know that sometimes you're going to be persecuted for Christ. There's going to be affliction. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be difficulty. Jesus, in declaring to the disciples before he was crucified and risen from the dead, said, in this life, you will have tribulation. He was preparing us for the difficulties in this life. He says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The source of joy is in that Christ has prepared a place for us. And he's going to come and take us to himself. Now, I've just said this. I've heard myself say this. But because we're Americans, a lot of times this has gone in one ear and out the other, hasn't it? What we've really heard is, it's pretty much going to be smooth sailing. That's not what I said. That's not what the Bible said, right? But because of our cultural view of Scripture and how we expect God's love to be revealed in our lives, we go, oh, that's going to be for somebody else, you know? That, that, that's not going to be for me. I, I, don't want, I don't want to be prepared for affliction. I don't want to have this mindset of reality to go, in this life there will be tribulation. But for some reason, God wants us to understand that. He wants us to be prepared for that. <clears throat> you know, how in which do we raise our kids? Do we, do we raise them up with this expectation that the world's always going to be this pleasant place for them? Or do we raise them as they get older and age appropriate to understand Look, there's going to be some challenges in the way that you go through life, but God's faithful. He's going to be there for you. And he's going to be faithful to you in the same way Paul's wanting to do that in our lives as well. So we need to be prepared for affliction. Now, if that bummed you out a lot, listen to Hebrews 4, or excuse me, Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4, and I think this is really important. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So we have this tendency to go, man, I'm really glad I came to Wednesday night study. Pastor Eric told me life's going to suck. You know, that's what he said. I already knew that before he came, right? I'm going to have a little pity party. We're prepared for affliction. Woo! This is great, right? Start thinking we got this really bad deal, this really bad bargain. And the author of Hebrews says, Unless you become weary and discouraged in your souls, consider him who endured such hostility against sinners. Here he is, God in human flesh, perfection, never sinned. There's times when we're just accosted by sin. There's some really horrific act of sin 
even as a sinner, that we go, wow, that is really heavy. That really broke my heart. I can't imagine that I was just confronted with the reality of this, this wicked act. But think about Jesus who never sinned to a whole nother level. He took on our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Then he's punished for our sin by the Father, the sin of the whole entire world. And he had to take that upon himself, that hostility, be punished for sin. And we go, okay, God, my suffering's pretty light. My affliction is pretty light. And then in a way that only scripture can declare it is you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So are you bleeding? Are you bleeding? Because you've struggled against sin. Nope, God, looks like I'm not bleeding. So his message to me, suck it up, you know? (laughs) Keep going. Don't get discouraged. Don't get weary in your soul. You don't have it that bad. Look at the suffering of Christ. I think I have the gift of mercy. What do you think? (laughs) Probably not. Verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So Paul says, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to really know how you're doing in the midst of this affliction. So I'm sending Timothy to you. He understood that Satan's an opportunist, that Satan will come and attack during a time of affliction. This is wise spiritual leadership from the Apostle Paul that he's showing us in caring for a group of new believers. Saying, Satan's not going to leave him alone. Say, Satan's not going to give him a hall pass because they're, they're going through affliction. So we should know this in our own lives. Okay, here's this trial that's going through life. You know, this difficulty, this financial difficulty, this physical difficulty, this job difficulty, relational difficulty. I I better understand that Satan's going to attack as well. So it's a time to boost up the prayers. It's a time to boost up taking on the armor of God. Okay, Lord, would you protect our family? Would you, would you be with us as we, we go through this season? If you know that another believer is going through a time of affliction, pray for them. Reach out to them. How are you doing? How's your trust in the Lord going? Because Satan's an opportunist. He's going to come and tempt in the midst of that trial and that difficulty. What do, you, what do you think some ways that Satan would tempt this new church in Thessalonica, getting them to doubt? Is Jesus real? Is what Paul said really true? Has Christ forgiven your sins? Is he risen from the dead? Can you trust him? Jesus claims to to love you. Is he really acting loving by allowing this affliction to go on in your life? So we need to be on guard against doubt in the midst of those times. In verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Timothy goes and visits the church, comes back to Paul, says, man, it's good. They're remaining in faith. They're remaining in love. And they desire to see you, Paul. They haven't believed those false teachers that have put you in a negative light. When believers go through trial, not in a state of perfection, but in a state of trust and faith in the Lord and love, doesn't that encourage you? When, you? when you get back word, man, their heart's broken. 
They're suffering. They're going through it. It's an uphill battle. But you know what? They're still trusting Christ. You still hear words like that you heard from Job. Though he slay me, I will trust him. You know, they're, they're continuing to abide in faith. I've been so encouraged by friends over the years that have gone through tremendous difficulty and continue to trust Christ. They've continued to, to grow in love. It's not easy. It's painful. But they've stayed close to the Lord. And that's what Paul found in the church of Thessalonica. I think when Paul heard this, he understood, okay, it took. It took for real. The gospel was planted in their hearts. It was more than an emotional experience. And even though their faith is costing them something at this point, they've continued to walk with the Lord. In verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand in the Lord. Paul's saying, okay, we're going through difficulty, even as I'm writing this letter, and we were encouraged by your guys' faith. We were stirred up to love and good works because we heard this good report of you continuing to walk in faith and love. Remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? That was a difficulty. That was an affliction. Why was he thrown into the lion's den? Because of his prayer life. He wouldn't compromise his prayer life. The king was duped. He was tricked into throwing Daniel into this law that he'd made that he couldn't back out of. He comes to the lion's den early in the morning to see if Daniel was still alive. And Daniel gives that testimony to God. Yep, God's kept me alive. He sent an angel that clothed, closed the mouth of, of, of the lions. And that king was encouraged, wasn't he? He experienced the power of God through God's work in Daniel's life while he was in the pits. You never know who's watching you go through the pits and how they're being encouraged. Paul says, I'm encouraged how you guys are enduring in the midst of this affliction. To understand the depth of God's work in that passage, you have to understand what happens next. Is Dan- the king had the men that were responsible for this law thrown into the lion's den, and the Bible tells us that the lions ate them up before they even touched the bottom of the pit. So this angel was pretty powerful to close, close, close. Had a hard time getting that out. The mouth of the the lions. Verse 9, it says, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sakes before our God? Took joy for what God was doing in the lives of those at the church of Thessalonica. Take the time to do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for how you're showing yourself strong and being faithful in and and through them. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we would see your face and perfect what was lacking in your faith, or mature would be a better translation there. Seeing every day, night and day, I'm asking God that we might come and be able to see your face and mature what's lacking in your faith. This shows depth of relationship and depth of desire to continue to see these believers grow. One of the things that I've been moved through 1 Thessalonians is to see the depth of Paul's love and care for the church of Thessalonica. And he really misses these guys, really wants to see them, really wants to make sure that they continue to, to grow in faith. He is extremely committed 
to their growth in the Lord. He says to perfect what was lacking in your faith. To see what, what's lacking in your faith grow into maturity. This gives us a good understanding of discipleship. Good understanding of the way that God would want us to care for one another as believers. In verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. See, God, would you intervene in this? Would you open up the doors so that we could go see the church of Thessalonica? And may our God and Father himself come in the midst of this and direct our way to you. That's how much Paul was wanting to see them. And the chapter ends with this prayer that God has for the church of Thessalonica, and I think for us as well. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So may God give the increase. And specific way that God would give the increase is that you would abound in love, abound in love towards one another. This means that we never plateau in love. Isn't that true? So we never reach a place where we go, God looks at us and goes, okay, you have learned to love efficiently. You have learned to love perfectly. Why? Because God is love. So until we see him and are transformed into his likeness in this life, there'll always be greater attributes for us in love. And I think sometimes in our lives, we go, okay, man, I sure love a whole lot more than I used to. So I'm, man, I'm thankful. And this is far enough. I don't really have this hunger or anticipation. And the word abound means more and more, doesn't it? It's not just a little bit of love, a little bit of love, but exponential growth of love. That's the prayer for the church of Thessalonica. I believe love is the most important scripturally and biblically. 1 Corinthians 13. We've talked a lot about faith tonight, and now we get to look at love. The end of 1 Corinthians 13 tells us faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is, is love. Without love, we're nothing. And so God's prayer for us is that he would increase us in love. As we end out 2016, go into 2017, and we think about what's God's heart and vision for RMC going into 2017, you know what it is? That we would abound in love toward one another. That we would grow in the way that we love believers. That we love the, the, the body of Christ. That if someone were watching us, they'd say, wow, RMC is really loving to a greater degree. They're growing in love. Wouldn't it be cool if someone kind of just got the five-year perspective of RMC? Or they only were here every five years. And let's say that they're only here for three months every five years. And you go, you know, something's really different around here. You guys are loving each other like crazy. You guys are spending time with each other, reaching out to each other. It seems like there's been a love explosion that has taken place at RMC. God has increased you guys in love. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't, what a blessing. We love studying the scriptures here. And it's so important to grow in the knowledge of God. And as we grow in the knowledge of God, hopefully it's producing more love. What if someone got the same 
kind of every five years they got to check in with our family and spend three weeks and they go, you know, something crazy has happened to your husband and wife. You guys are had a little love explosion that's been happening. You guys have always loved each other, always been committed to each other. But it's evident that you've increased in love, that you've abounded in love. You've always been committed parents and faithful parents, but you've just exploded in your love for your kids and your love, love for your spouse and your love for, for believers. In our workplace, maybe you have the privilege of being in the same workplace for a long time, in the same neighborhood for a long time. And what if in our neighborhoods and apartment complexes, there's like, something's going on with them. You know, they've always been nice, but they seem to really be concerned. They seem to be really caring. They seem to be really investing. He's really stopping to take some time to listen at work. What's going on with him? Maybe he's having a midlife crisis. I don't know, right? Man, this seems like there's been a love explosion that's taken place in their, their hearts and in their lives. So may God give us an abounding, increasing ability to love one another. I think the two are related. From my experience in my own life and watching others, when we go through affliction and grow in Christ, that's where the love is produced. That's where the love factory happens is it's through affliction. Oh man, there's really a lot of love that has been produced through that difficulty. And we end with this, so that he may establish your hearts. That's really the message of this chapter, an established heart. You're in the midst of affliction, Church of Thessalonica, but you've got an established heart. You've got a heart that's trusting in affliction, a heart that understands affliction's appointed, that we're prepared for affliction and your heart has been established. Your heart remains strong. Your heart is unmovable, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Blameless in holiness. Not perfect, not perfection. Only Christ is perfect, but a blameless heart where there's not a part of your heart that is in a place where judgment could be brought against it. Where you go, you know what? I've been keeping short accounts with God. I've confessed this to the Lord. I've turned away from it. I'm an open book to my spouse, to my kids, to my friends. Not perfect by any means, but I'm not hiding anything. There's not some deep, dark secret in the back of the closet. It, it, it's out there. My, my life's an open book to the Lord and an open book to others so that at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful, wonderful, when Christ returns for the rapture of the church and his second coming, that we had an established heart? In the midst of affliction, and we're walking with the Lord and loving believers. That'd be a blessing, wouldn't it? It is a very important teaching to Christ, to the apostles, his second coming. And it's one that we can easily lose sight of, isn't it? The second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I want you to be ready for the second coming of Christ. When Christ shows up with all the saints, I want you to be ready. I want you to have a blameless heart in the midst of affliction, an established heart. So tonight, if you're going through affliction and you're going through difficulty, I pray that God would meet you in a very tangible way. 
and that you would meet with the Lord. You wouldn't leave here tonight without pressing into to God's presence. May we not leave short of it, of us knowing the truth without experiencing the truth. What do I mean? God's our refuge, a dwelling place for all generations. Okay, Lord, I know that, but now I'm entering in and I'm trusting you and I'm allowing you to be my fortress and my protection. Okay, Lord, in your word, you tell us to not be shaken by trials, to not be shaken by affliction. So you knew I would lose my job. You knew I would have this health challenge. You knew there would be, you fill in the blank of the difficulty. So Lord, I'm choosing to trust you. And I'm asking now that you would make me rock solid, that I wouldn't be shaken in the midst of trial. An important part of this is experiencing the comfort of God. He is merciful. We talk about the gift of mercy. He is mercy. He's the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. You come to him with your difficulty and he's not going to say, suck it up. All right? He's the father of mercy. He's the God of all comfort. And he wants to comfort us. He wants to comfort you. He wants to minister to us to where then we know what it's like to meet with the Lord. We know what it's like to comfort the Lord and be able to share that with others. Paul felt that it was so important that the church of Thessalonica was equipped to be able to walk through affliction. He says, okay, guys, this is an important part of your maturity. This is an important part of your spiritual growth. I don't want you to be stumbled by affliction. I don't want you to be stumbled by persecution. And the same is true for us. God goes, okay, I'm growing my children in the Lord, so I want you to be equipped for how to be able to walk through affliction and it's by coming to the Lord and finding refuge in his presence. And we have a great opportunity to do that in communion. If God was faithful to provide salvation, if he could answer the sin problem, which is our greatest need, then he'll be faithful in the trials of life, won't he? And that's part of what we remember in communion. Jesus, you love me. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed. I'm forgiven in you. I'm resting in your faithfulness and your goodness. I'm lifting my head to your promises and who you are looking forward to, to your return. If you don't know Christ as your savior, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again. Life is difficult. It is challenging. I can't imagine how you're trying to get through this life apart from Jesus Christ. And he desires to save you. He desires to come in relationship with you and walk with you through this life and take you in to eternity. So how do you receive Christ? By turning from your sin and crying out to Christ, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. So let's stand and let's pray and let's enter into communion tonight. Jesus, you're our good shepherd. And we shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. 
Lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. We ask that you would restore our souls tonight. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you're with us. There's no place that we can go apart from your goodness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We believe that and receive that. That our life would be a a testimony of your goodness and your mercy. Our cup runs over. Holy Spirit, good shepherd, faithful father, would you pour into us what we cannot pour into ourselves? Would you cause our cup to overflow? Jesus, we want you, we desire you, we thank you that you are with us. And in the midst of the storm and the difficulty, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to us? We're we're listening. Would you comfort our hearts so that we could become comforters? We ask right now that you would bless communion and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.